the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome in. Good day. I'm Rob Black. Money, money, money. How are you? Came into work today and I got a whole new computer system. That's not good news. In large part, all my passwords are different. Or not different, just not no longer there. So <laughs> I've got a funny password story. Uh, but I'm gonna save it for another day. So even like the resolution on the monitor is like smaller. So I'm just having a bad day already. Anyhow, in any way, um the stock market, right? We are paying attention to that it is Friday. Um which basically means it's kind of nice, right? The Dow is going to be flirting with 20,000 today. Today may be the day. It may not be. But you take a look at the S&P 500, the Dow, and the NASDAQ, and, you know, we're having a good year so far. It's just the Dow is stubbornly playing with 20,000. Now, again, a lot of these companies got way ahead of themselves, and a lot of these companies are counting on earnings season, double-digit growth in both tech and banking, triple-digit growth in earnings for energy stocks. Um, so someone like ExxonMobil is expecting to triple their profit. But that tells you last year was pretty horrible for them too, right? So right now we got the Dow playing off of J.P. Morgan and Bank of America. Their profits jumped. Well, Wells Fargo scandal uh, weighed on their earnings. So you kind of have that. Retail sales in the United States rose on automotive automotive demand. Uh, do you have a new vehicle? Are you driving around two two? Yeah, beep beep. Thank you. So maybe we can get the Donna Summers two two. Yeah, beep beep. So I have a little sister. She's eight years younger than me. And when she was two or three, uh, one of the very first songs she ever learned to sing was "Bad Girl" by Donna Summer. And uh, it's kind of funny because you have this totally innocent little child, and. Uh, you know, bad girl, such a naughty, naughty bad girl. It made my dad blood boil um, to hear basically a song about a skanky girl. His daughter was singing it, but it had the big toot toot, yeah, beep beep in it. So, um, yeah, there we go. This takes you back in time. Hi, everybody. The year is 19, uh, I don't know, what would have been? Probably 80. Somewhere around there. 79? 79 sounds a little too early. This was almost like a comeback song. But we don't have to beat it up too much. So, stock market playing with that big round number of 20,000. Will we get there? It's good that the banks are doing what the banks are doing. So, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. Um, but they have had huge runs in their stock since the election day. And if you look back at Wells Fargo, remember when we found out that they're doing some naughty things? Um, bad bank. It's naughty, naughty, bad bank. 
um, the stock plummeted. And I know people who sold, and then the stock roared back 10 points. So when there's bad news out there, try not to have a conscience. Um, some people I know in business, very close and very intimately, Chad Burton, um, sold the stock because morally it was the right thing to do. But yeah, crisis, no. There's different types of crisis. When the company says, we don't know what our earnings are, we, we are going to have to go back and re-audit our books. That one you panic on. Uh, but when it's headline news out of the L.A. Times, I'm David Lazarus and Wells Fargo is ripping you off more in just three minutes. When it's that kind of scandal, it's not so bad. Um, so Bank of America, which exceeded analyst expectations, uh, earnings were up. Revenue, not quite what they wanted it. J.P. Morgan topped earning expectations as well. Uh, the results in the reports, by and large, had some encouraging economic undertones with average loan balances up and credit quality strong. So one of the things that's happened in the last eight years is as we've given people loans again after the housing crisis, uh, we, we've kind of said, let's take a look and make sure that you have a good loan. Let's, let's make sure that you are who you are. Your income is what it is. Your money that has been, you know, suddenly magically appearing in your bank account was from a relative and not from, you know, you basically take it from one bank account, put it in another and take it from one bank account, put them back in the other kind of thing. So our loans are pretty good right now. Um, I saw that credit card delinquencies are below the 15 year averages and automotive delinquencies are below the 15 year averages, but they are climbing now, the climbing is, believe it or not, a good part because that basically implies that we've started giving loans to people that don't deserve them. So that's how banks make more money um, is when they find more people to give loans to. And typically when you find more people to give loans to, you're, you're lowering the you know, search pool. Uh, you're increasing the search pool by lowering the demands. So the financial sector today is going to be a big one. Um, Retail sales report was a little bit disappointing relative to expectations. Total retail sales increased six-tenths of a percent month over month, while sales, if you exclude autos, increased two-tenths of one percent. If you take gasoline sales out of the whole equation, things were flat in retail sales. Now, gasoline is one of those <clears throat> damnation games. It's, you know, we've seen gasoline prices tick back up after going low, 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 bottom. So there's only there's not one way to go, but we're not going to gasoline at zero. We're not going to go to gasoline at one dollar a gallon. So there's going to be a point where we go, okay, that's probably as low as to go. So when gasoline prices tick up, that's considered retail sales for you and me. But is it really retail sales? No, because I still had to drive 25 miles to work today, and I'm after drive 25 miles to get back home. And you get the idea, I think, right? So, long story short. Um, Gasoline acts as a tax cut when it falls in price and we have more money in our pocket and gasoline acts as a tax when it goes up. Now, what's interesting about that, and I haven't done enough of the studies on this, but millennials are going to change that all up because they're not owning as cars as, as pervasively as Generation X and baby boomers did. So that's worthy of note. Um, other stories of note out there, millennials have half the net worth that baby boomers did at this age. So they're falling behind their parents. And one of the reasons why is because baby boomers are stealing money from their children. No, 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 no. I just seen if you're listening. No, it's one of the reasons why the millennials are falling so far behind baby boomers is, is because 
um, baby boomers basically sold out. You remember baby boomers in the 60s? Peace, love, uh, no Vietnam, free love, summer in the city. You know, basically unprotected sex with anyone you wanted, anytime you wanted it. And then they started buying Volvos. And then they started buying nice cars and Mercedes and BMWs and buying houses. This whole community thing well, it was never meant to last. So baby boomers had children and the millennial children are worse off than the baby boomers uh, with median household income of about $40,000. Millennials earn 20% less than boomers did at the same age. So on top of that, they're not owning houses. So they're not creating housing wealth. They're coming out of debt college with much, much more debt. And that's a problem. Um, Home ownership rate for the age group dipped to 43% from 46% in 1989. Median net worth of millennials is $10,000 right now, 56% lower than it was for uh, boomers. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the ICE Report on Fridays that we do here on KDOW. We are the flag station for the San Jose Barracuda, which is the AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Very exciting that we have both a professional hockey team and their amateur team in town a couple years ago the sharks decided we're going to blow up the the young team or the old team and uh, they got rid of some of their older players and they brought in a lot of fresh young blood one of them that they brought in was danny o'regan danny was a fifth round draft pick excited to talk to you here you're kind of blowing up the ahl right now danny so i don't know about that but thank you come on you're second in the ahl in points among rookies you lead your team in points you got to um, run with us and, and talk big about yourself a little bit. But congratulations. You're having a great season. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So fifth round draft pick. Let's go back in time a little bit. Um, where were you? Were you playing college? Were you playing in the juniors? What was your circumstance? Um, I was actually playing high school. It was just after my uh, high school hockey season. I just played at uh, a prep school in Massachusetts. It's called St. Sebastian's. And, um, you know, I just finished up my season there. And then I went and... Uh, Played in the tournament with the United States the National Development Team. Um, played in the U18 Championships, and that wrapped up, and then kind of brought us right to the draft. So you're leading the team in points. Um, is this your first? This is your first time breaking in with the Barracuda. Where have you been in between your draft and today? Uh, I played four years at uh, at Boston University. Okay, so great school. You had fun there, I'm sure, winning, uh, doing all the winter stuff and all the tournaments against uh, the other teams. Yeah. Did, you, did you win a national championship? Uh, no, we uh, we lost in the finals one year, but uh, but yeah, it was a great four years and uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's um, the college hockey tournament. Um, the final four is always pretty exciting. They posted on a. Uh, ESPN and it's always fun to watch so uh, I probably have seen you play even though I've never seen you play per se <laughs> so with that said um, you broke into the Barracuda this year uh, you're a Ford uh, correct yes so yep. tell me a little bit about your game are you um, a speed guy or are you kind of one of those guys that gets in front of the nets and just pounds it in what, what, what's your role uh, well I'm kind of uh, 
at this point in the game, I'm an undersized forward, so I'm uh, trying not to use my, uh, you know, I try to just play a smart game and get to the right areas, and, um, you know, I try to use speed and uh, try to be quicker than everyone because, you know, um, you know, I'm not really a guy that's going to overpower a lot of people down low or, you know, you know, outmuscle anyone. So I'm going to try to use my speed and my, uh, you know, smartness to uh, just to, um, to get chances and uh, make good plays and, you know, try to set guys up around me and stuff like that. You get to play with a legendary coach, Roy Sommer, with the Barracuda. He's the winningest coach of all time. Is he pulling you aside and saying, okay, you just admit it to be undersized? Does he want to get you kind of big and bulky? Does that come with time, or is the plan to stay on the slim and fast side? No, yeah, he, he doesn't want to change, uh, change too much about me. It's just about um, kind of adjusting to, you know, just knowing that you're undersized and, you know, uh, finding ways to be, to, you know, use that to my advantage and to be, to be good defensively um, and, you know, to not let it affect my game or, you know, slow me down or stop me from scoring or anything like that. Your dad played for the Pittsburgh Penguins, so you've been around hockey your whole life. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and Washington and Pittsburgh didn't much care for each other. Neither team was very good for a long time, long periods of time. Uh, yeah. What was it like having a dad in the NHL? Uh, obviously, it was, uh, you know, really cool. He's, he's been a, you know, a big part of my, you know, success at this point. He's been my role model since day one, so it was uh, obviously really cool to have that, um, you know, that that in my life for 22 years now, and, you know, he's been there every step of the way, and my whole family's been on the ice. My mom was, you know, figure skater too. My brother played hockey. My sisters both did it too, so, so you know, the whole way through, it's been very... Uh, family oriented on the ice and so it's been great to have uh you know all those people in my life i dated uh, a figure skater who almost made the olympics during the tanya harding years and uh, yeah brutal brutal because she'd go skate at four in the morning she had these huge ankles from um you know the damage that you do skating and uh it was good but she was always bitterly cold <laughs> um, but yeah i'm yeah. sure you're used to that um, yep. let's go back to the Barracuda. Uh, y'all are on a, y'all had a great month of December and January's come around and you're still playing strong. You look pretty good, pretty well positioned for the playoffs this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always keeping an eye on the standings and, uh, we're always trying to, you know, gain some ground. And I think right now we're in second place in our division and we had a game tonight against the first place team. So, um, you know, we put ourselves in a good spot and, um, especially having a young team with, you know, our coaches and our older guys and captains have done a great job just, you know, showing us the way, kind of, and uh, letting us know what it takes to win games in this league. So, yeah, we've done a pretty good job so far. Well, thanks for joining us today, and good luck with the rest of the AHL season. Hopefully you uh, enjoy the All-Star game that you're going to be going to, and you get a call up to the Sharks sooner rather than later. Um, I look Thank forward you. to seeing you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's Danny O'Regan with the San Jose Barracuda. The Barracuda are on this station each each home game. Well, every, every game. Um, and you can follow them. It's family friendly. You heard this kid. He's. I mean, I hate to say the kid because now I'm so old. I'm, I could be his dad. Um, and I don't like that because I used to be him. But he's having a, a just a breakout kind of season. And uh, literally, he went to Boston University and played four years there and 
has a great education. Uh, first year in the AHL, he's tearing it up. He's second in the HL in points amongst rookies with 33. Uh, he's six overall in the league. Um, he's tied for the league in assists, so he sets up players as well as scores goals, uh, which is a very important thing in hockey to uh, be the assist maker. Um, long story short, he's uh, tearing it up, and he'll be a future shark hopefully one day sooner rather than later. But with that being said, he can get some seasoning this year with the AHL being undersized step from the AHL to the NHL. It's big. It's not that big, but all the players are great um, at the NHL level. So that's kind of exciting for him uh, being drafted when you're in high school. When I was in high school, I was just worried of like, is my car going to run in the next day? Uh, so Good for him. Uh, what I want to mention about this Barracuda, again, we broadcast the games. Nick Nolenberger is the voice of the Barracuda. He's great. Um, I grew up loving hockey, and I grew up play, uh, watching the Washington Capitals. And uh, I remember going to a Pittsburgh Penguins game one year where it seemed everyone was at the game to smoke marijuana and not watch hockey. And hockey almost disappeared from Washington, D.C. And now they've got the great Alex Ovechkin, and it's, it's thriving. Um, it's a great sport. Um, it should catch on a little bit more. Over through the years, uh, but if you want to get your kids involved in it and watching it, it's it's super exciting. Uh, Danny's going to be playing tonight against the Ontario Rain at home, and then the Stockton Heat tomorrow at one thirty. I love those one thirty day tilt games um, because you wrap up your day long enough to get home and enjoy the evening, so to speak. So there's a lot of home games. There, the tickets are incredibly affordable. All the seats are good because at the SAP Center they they close off the upper level, so all the seats are on the lower level. You're super close to the action. It's fast. It's furious. It's it's, it's really really fun, um, and I'm not just saying that because also I find pee wee hockey to be just as entertaining. I can watch five year olds go at each other, uh, especially when they break out in a brawl. So I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Check out the Ser- Jose Barracuda at sjbarracuda.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or kdow.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. And the Oscar goes to Rob Black. Black. You're black. <laughs> Bet y'all didn't know I won an Oscar. Little things that you learn, right? So, this was, 2016 was an interesting year. And I'm going to get into business conversation in just a second. But coming into work this morning, one of the very first stories I saw was about how a 12-year-old girl committed suicide on Facebook Live. And she'd basically been molested by a family member. And after 40 minutes of talking, she ended her life. And it's being circulated around Twitter and it's being circulated around the quote-unquote cyberspace. Facebook has taken it down, but it's out there, uh, to say the least. Uh, That's kind of scary. But that's where we are right now. And everyone needs to stop for a minute and think about what's going on. You know, Vladimir Putin, Jeff Bezos, Donald Trump, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Macy's. 2016 was the year that cyberspace really became a tipping point in our lives. To say that it hit critical mass, I, I think, is an understatement. So the, the crazy part about cyberspace to me is that there's no police officers. There's no courts. There's no judges. Um, there's no God smiting evil with lightning bolts or anything like that. There's... It's almost impossible to disseminate 
information on what's real news and what's fake news. I've got a friend who's a big fat tub of goo, as Dave Letterman once referred to Terry Forster of the Atlanta Braves. Um, and he just sits there all day and, and posts like, hey, the Chargers are moving to L.A. That's stupid. And uh, his whole life seems to be posted on Facebook. And you know how many people give him a thumbs up or, or reply to his comments? Zero point zero. So I find that interesting. Now, what's compelling to me is that if someone says something bad about me on Twitter or Facebook, I can't really do anything about it. Unless it's a death threat, the police aren't even going to pay any attention. Uh, Right now, we're having world leaders talk to each other on Twitter. We're having terrorists communicate, you know, plans to blow up people and drive over them and and create havoc, um, you know, through our communication systems through cyberspace. Um, Facebook, which wants all the readers and advertisers of the mainstream media, but it doesn't want to be saddled with human editors and fact checkers. It has to take this a little bit more seriously. Macy's is slashing 10,000 jobs and closing dozens of stores because of Amazon. Amazon taught yet more traditional retailers as they have since the late 90s how hard the cyber tipping point has hit retailing. Um, Stores that were relevant in my lifetime are are irrelevant at this point in time. Um, The only thing that I would ever use Sears for is to get a washer or dryer because they deliver it the next day and take yours away. Um, and sometimes I've run into situations where you order from Home Depot or like it's two weeks. It's like, no, 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 no. Rob needs to do his laundry in the next two weeks and Rob will not go to a laundromat. Uh, there's two things. If you ever find me in a laundromat or a radio shack, I'll give you $10,000 uh, because there's some things that Rob just won't do. So in an era where more and more of our lives have moved to the digital realm, it's pretty scary and uh, teach your kids, you know, uh, if you're a parent, you're, you have a lot to think about between now and the time that they're uh, on their own. And when do you get them an Xbox? When do you get them a phone? Uh, when do you let them into that scary world of, of cyberspace? Um, because it's unfiltered. So, and uh, I would go as far as to say, be cautious on what you post. And also kind of, you know, be diligent and uh, vigilant, rather, on finding out your own, you know, opinion on yourself. I fortunately have a name where there's, I think, 12,000 other Rob Blacks in the world. So I'm good. There was a guy who did a radio show here many, many, many years ago. No one would remember him. Um, But he had a wife and two kids. And one day I Googled him and came up that you know he had a, a real nasty affair at an office with a co-worker and she was saying horrible things about him and how could he do this to his wife and kids kind of thing and uh that stuff happens so and that getting that kind of stuff removed brutal so uh, do you think i would work with him probably not is what i'm getting at so right now i've got a niece who uh, finished college last year and she, First couple of months, she worked with the Clinton campaign, and then she's on vacation with her dad, and then she's on vacation with her mom, and then she's on vacation with her friends, and a lot of pictures are going up. Now, some of them have like a beer in their hand, and I'd probably hire a girl, woman who has a beer in her hand, no problem, but sometimes information gets up there a little bit too much, a little bit, little bit too much in my opinion, so do be cautious and do res- be respectful on that. 
You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. I always have events coming up. Um, in fact, I've got one coming up next month and the month after. Um, at some point in time, and I say this on a regular basis, uh, Tony Mendez is in studio today, and he's like, do you want me to come in tomorrow? I'm like, at some point in time, I'm not going to be on radio anymore. So if you want to come in, come on in. Um, because this too shall uh, go at some point. So... <clears throat> 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. When I was a kid, uh, I was a little bit addicted to Pac-Man. I was fascinated by it. Do you remember the first time you got into video games? I can remember the very, very first time I saw a video game. I can remember it. I was five years old. I was at a pizza place. It was like a village pizza or uh, I don't remember the name of the pizza place, but it was, I think it was called the village pizza. It was in Southern Virginia. And the pizza place had an arcade game of it had an arcade game of kind of two cowboys walking up and down. So you'd move the joystick. It had two, I think maybe two directions up and down. It might've gone forward and backwards. I don't think it did. And it had one fire button. So, and there was a stagecoach in between you that you could kind of blow up or a cactus that you could knock, knock the pieces out of. And the goal would be if you can get a, a pure line through there, that was going to be the best way to get to your uh, opponent. Um, and I remember that. And I thought it was magical. Years later, I would see ColecoVisions and Atari 2600s. And um, I went through the whole thing, right? Um, I don't want to say that I was there when video games were invented. I'm not Al Gore. I'm not going to reinvent history or anything like that. But it's now a $100 billion industry. And when you take a look at it, it's what they kick out is just as impressive as what's kicked out of Hollywood. So when you see Rogue One do a billion dollars, you can see video games do billions of dollars at this point in time. Um, I can actually, there was another video game that I remember that was done through the internet. My father worked in the military and you'd get a phone and you'd put the phone on the coupler and you would be able to communicate with a computer offsite. And this was just a teletype video game. And it was actually a hockey game where you could say, do you want to, you know, uh, go down the middle, go down the side, shoot high, shoot low, you know, one hole, two hole, three hole, four hole, five hole kind of thing. Um, One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I I remember all this. Like scientists built the first video games as instructional tools in the 1950s to demonstrate the capabilities of new technologies. So they were showing off little artificial intelligence. Now you can get a game like Call of Duty or yeah, Call of Duty. Um, it'll cost you fifty, sixty dollars. It's not cheap. And the the gamers now, the Generation X are still gaming. I was talking to a parent the other day, and I was like, "So he has an eight year old, almost nine year old." And I said, "So have you got an Xbox in your house yet?" He goes, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." And I was like, "So do you let your kid play the violent games?" Because I I had a business partner a couple of years ago. He's like, "I can't even watch Sports Center anymore because the video the commercials for video games are so terrifying that it scares my daughter." I was like, okay, okay, okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got the So my friend who's got the nine-year-old boy, he says, oh, yeah, I got an Xbox. He goes, it's sweet. I play Call of Duty. It's, it's his. It's not even his, his kids. I mean, his kid's playing it now, but he's, he's only lets his kid play sports games, like soccer and football, which I think is kind of interesting because I saw a couple of professional athletes talk about how Madden is so good now that you can practice your game on it. Um, you can see how to read routes and things like that. So the video game market is getting ready to go through a major change with um, augmented reality and virtual reality. 
So that's going to grow from a $5.2 billion market this year to a $162 billion market in 2020. That's a compound annual growth rate of 181%. Um, there's going to be some huge investments here. For now, virtual reality and augmented reality headsets are typically for very high-end users, but you need to pay attention to this, guys, because the kids who were playing the Ataris and Pac-Man you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, they weren't foolish. They saw the industry and they watched how it grew. Go take a look at Electronic Arts. Take a look at Activision. Take a look at Take-Two Interactive. There was a couple of years ago where Hillary Clinton got really mad at Take-Two Interactive because they had the, the game where Grand Theft Auto, where you, to get power-ups, you would take basically drugs and you'd have sex with prostitutes. So if your guy was dying, he'd go have sex with a prostitute and he'd get his full health back, which is, it's offensive. But is it the end of the world? No. But when the president's wife starts talking about it being a bad thing, stock goes through the roof. Remember the phrase, no, uh, any publicity is good publicity? Absolutely true. Um, so if I were an investor in my early days right now, I would say I absolutely want exposure to virtual reality and augmented reality. And I gave you some names. Obviously, AMD makes a lot of the chips and NVIDIA makes a lot of the chips that power these computers. Not going to go away. So that's going to be a huge market. I can't wait to fight zombies with a headset on where I feel like I'm in the battle versus looking at it on a screen where I know it's two-dimensional and I'm not in the battle. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So I tried to read one money book per month. Sometimes it's an economist. Sometimes it's people like Thomas Friedman. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, like a Warren Buffett kind of suggestion or Bill Gates suggestion. Um, so I try to read one a month and I try to highlight. I'm a, I write in books when I read them. I don't know if you do that, but I still do that. I guess I picked that up in college, right? Um, I find that after I'm done with a book, I kind of reread some of the things I wrote just so I can kind of refresh myself. And I recently noticed that there's three things that are in every single money book. And number one is getting rich starts by changing your mind. And on the surface, that sounds like a lot of BS, right? But the amount of money making the world is limited only by the person in whose mind the thought is put into motion. Faith removes limitations. That was from Napoleon Hill. Think and grow rich. A guy named Steve Siebold from How Rich People Think. Getting rich begins with the way you think and what you believe about making money. The secret has always been the same. Thinking. Stop telling yourself that getting rich is outside of your control. The truth is that making money is an inside job. T. Harv Eker, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which for the record, to be a millionaire now is a little bit easier than it was in the past. It's kind of like that uh, Dr. Evil thing where he asked for a ransom of $1 million and everyone starts laughing at him. Um, but T. Harv Eker says, getting rich takes focus, courage, knowledge, expertise, 100% of your effort, a never give up attitude, and of course, a rich mindset. If you're not fully, totally, and truly committed to creating wealth, chances are you won't. And that's not totally true. And I can tell you um, one of the ways that I got rich 
was I drove a car for 15 years until it died. And then I picked up a used car for 10 years. Um, and then I got a nice car. So early, early, early on, I had the worst cars in the world, which was kind of good for me because I could say, hey, do y'all want to go out tonight? And everyone would say, sure. And I'd go, you want to take my car? And they're like, no. So I never had to drink and drive. Other people did, if you get my drift. And I did the same thing in college with uh, beer, where I got this beer that had uh, was so bad. It was, it was Milwaukee's best. Uh, that and National Bohemian, just the two nastiest beers on the planet, right? And I used to get tequila for six cents a bottle that had formaldehyde in it. And if you're going to poison yourself with alcohol, you might as well poison yourself with formaldehyde, right? Uh, with dead frog or something in your uh, tequila. And then, like, remember how I didn't have a nice car? I went on a date with a girl who was really unbelievably sexy. And she knew my job and she knew my career and finance and media and stuff like that. She knew that I was, I was pretty well off. She's like, why do, you have, why do you have such a crappy car? And I was like, never seeing her again. So... Um, so I don't think it's really a mindset. I think one of the very first things to do to get wealthy is like, stop wasting money. Um, don't go on that vacation to Hawaii or Mexico that you can't afford until you can afford it. Um, so I disagree with some of the advice. Like here's another one money. I told you there's three things that every money book teaches you. Money won't just appear. You need a detailed plan and specific goals. I kind of agree with that one. Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich, wrote, Riches do not respond to wishes. They respond only to definite plans backed by definite desires through constant persistence. I've got a brother-in-law right now who he, in his mind, is the world's greatest, greatest entrepreneur. Um, he's got these great ideas and he's super smart and going to save the planet. Um, the reality is he doesn't have an income. He hasn't had an income in three years. Um, early on after college, he didn't have an income. So you can dream big, but the reality is, is you need to have a plan. You need to execute it. Otherwise it's just a big old dream. It's like I said, when, uh, when I was like seven or eight years old, there's a girl on my soccer team. I know you're saying girl on your soccer team. Whoa, that must've been sexy. It kind of was, uh, she, uh, blurted out her love for me. And I, I, I was like, that's cool. That's the only thing you could say in front of other guys. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, but then I took a knife and I took it to a tree and I, you know, I did an RB loves CS or whatever it was and writing it down makes it true. Blurting it out. You could have all the dreams in the world. You could talk big, but you're just a talker. In my opinion, you really have to have a plan. Um, I didn't get successful by just showing up. I got successful by like, for instance, last night I wrote down a line that I'm going to use. And it's going to be part of my radio show and part of my TV show down the road. I actually worked last night while I was sitting around doing nothing. I was actually kind of working. I came up with the concept of this year, I'm going to stop saying the word hate so much. So I read a book that I really, really don't like. I ate some food last night that I really, really didn't like. So the concept is kind of funny where I'm going to kill the word hate, but then I'm going to say I really, really didn't like something in place of that. So you're like, okay, that's not going to get you wealthy. But trust me, the way you say that it takes time and it takes effort to be successful. You don't just show up. And the third thing that all these books seem to to throw out there is the single most effective way to get rich is to pay yourself first. 
specifically set aside at least 10% of your income. David Bach, the author of The uh, Automatic Millionaire. Nothing will help you achieve wealth until you decide to pay yourself first. It means just what it says. When you earn a dollar, the first person you pay is you. Most people don't do this. I kind of agree with that. I think a lot of people live in the now. And instead of having 40 or 50 cable channels, they've got 200 or 400 cable channels. The average American only saves 6.5% of his or her income. So it says Sophia Amoroso, uh, which is barely keeping up with inflation. But you should save 10% at the bare minimum. Here's a tip. Treat your savings account just like you treat another bill. It, it has to be paid every month or there are consequences. So I kind of like that. I did when I was 18 years old. I started putting $166 a month into a mutual fund automatically out of my bank account. It was a Robertson Stevens tech fund. Um, so every month, $166 automatically went out. I made it part of my life. I kind of built it in. If you do save first, you'll have a lot more later in life. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. 21 Pilots taking us out. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 